0: Today on the Debunking Economics podcast, are universities losing their critical thinking? You'd have thought 2008 and the financial crisis would have meant more mainstream economists questioning the models they used and welcoming alternative views. But not so, it seems. As Steve Keane suggests, universities are taking a narrower, neoclassical view of the economy and are less open to anybody suggesting that there might be a better way of looking at it all. That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast. Steve wrote a piece on his Patreon page recently about how questioning mainstream economics seems to be out of fashion at universities. That must be very reassuring to those who think that tertiary education is a breeding ground for Marxists. Uh, John Summer was recently sacked from the University of Vermont. He's challenging the dismissal by crowdfunding an appeal in the Supreme Court. He reckons it's because he's teaching people that much of what they will learn on their economics course is wrong. The conventional models fail to address major public concerns like global warming, growing inequality and systematic market failure. So you're not allowed to question those things at university anymore. Economics is a science the models are factual and cannot be overturned or disproven. That is pretty much what he's saying, isn't it, Steve?
1: Well, that's that's the attitude of a lot of mainstream economists, and this is something is I had, to had to tolerate myself, of course, as an academic uh, since 1987. So it's for 30 years with 30 plus years worth now. And what uh, what has been the the rule throughout that is that convention, mainstream economists, they by the majority of economists, they're roughly. Five out of six would be a rough proportion, I'd say, of economists who are mainstream in academic departments, and I've got empirical data for that uh, coming out of an attempt by French economists some time ago to uh, develop an actually, uh, 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 what they call the heterodox stream of economics, independent of the officially recognised economic stream, and one out of six of them. Uh, actually applied to become part of it. Uh, so of the of the five, the five who are part of mainstream uh, belief in economics, at least three of them are absolutely strident believers. There'll be two who'll be slightly, uh, they might admit some flaws to the theory. Uh, they might be personal friends with the the wonky uh, one in six who's actually a critic of the mainstream. And that's been a sort of a that's got more extreme over time. The, the the division between the mainstream and non-mainstream has become more uh, divisive, if you like, over time. But it really was didn't have any particular impact before 2008. Mm. Uh, but after 2008, that's when the, the three who out of six, so three out of, you're just using over proportions, three out of five who are mainstream, three out of six in terms of the overall department proportion, uh, they started regarding the, the heterodox people as not just a, a little nuisance down the corridor to be tolerated and found some unimportant course to teach into. These guys became the enemy. And, uh, and and then then attempts to really drive the mainstream out of the profession, which you would think would have gone in reverse after the failure of the mainstream to anticipate the 2008 crisis. They actually took on a bit more um, more power. And John's John's experience is the latest, but certainly not the only one that I've seen of mainstream economists driving a non-mainstream thinker out of their department.
0: This isn't just economics though is it? This idea that people are becoming more entrenched in their attitudes that perhaps we used to think about things in a in a broader sense uh, maybe a few decades ago and now I don't know maybe it's because of the internet but you are one thing or another these days. You are a Brexiter or you're a Remainer. You uh, you think about something this way or that way. You believe immigration is good immigration is bad um, you know you, you pick you know you, you are more entrenched in your religion perhaps than you were 20 years ago we seem to be seeing things in uh, in m- m- much more black and white terms these days I,
1: I don't know that that's actually important in this particular issue because um, yes that's got more extreme in terms of non-academic discourse but academic discourse has always had some extent of of silo or siloizing if it's a very bad word but putting putting views in silos Ah, uh, so you'll have the sociologists don't talk to the economists, the economists don't talk to the engineers, et cetera, et cetera, and and that's just been the that's been the norm. The silo silo view, living our views inside silos. Um, also, academic departments, people believe they have a, a, a vision of what academics do, which to some extent portrays them as being dispassionate. Uh, You know, trying to use the facts to develop better theories over time. And there's certainly an extent to which that is true. Um, But there's always been a tendency for people in different academic theories of schools to lock onto a particular way of thinking as the truth. Mm. And what then happens is they push that truth up against the real world and where there's a clash between the two, it can be a very painful process. But over time, uh, the, 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 re- with the truth forces a revision in what is seen as the real set of beliefs. So see, it is uh, like a belief. Yeah. It's, almost,
0: it's almost like a religion, isn't it? You know, it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, yet, when you, if you teach religion, you are allowed to question whether God actually did build the world in six days. There's people go, well, maybe that's a bit unbelievable, but maybe we can take some other stuff out of this book, or maybe we shouldn't be quite so literal. And I think very few people would be teaching religion that way. And it seems to be, you're saying, well, no, economics is being taught exactly like that.
1: It's, 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 I'm putting it in context. I'm trying to put it in context because let's, let's take physics, for example. And physics, uh, when you arrive in, uh, as a physics student in year one, you'll learn that quantum mechanics and general relativity cannot be resolved. Do you learn. Newtonian, uh, Newtonian approaches overall, because for the vast majority of, of things you look at, Newton's laws and Maxwell's equations cover what you need to know in physics. But when you push the envelope, either at the micro, the, the, the absolute micro level, the, you know, down to the levels of atoms and so on, and molecules, you end up in quantum mechanics. If you push the other end, you'll end up in general, general relativity. Uh, we know there's no theory of uh, of gravity that makes sense at the quantum level. And we know that what happens at the at the uh, level of the where, where you push the two together, what, it, what we call black holes, uh, where the two laws necessarily come into play with each other, there's no theory to explain that behaviour. Uh, we, about the quantum level and the general relativity miracle. So students know that. And that's just an accepted part of the reality and they've got to work through that which whatever specialization they take in physics. Uh, so in that sense there's a there's an acknowledgement of a conflict between two theories which in their own ways describe you know ninety-nine percent of reality, but where they overlap in that one percent, can conflict with each other. So that's that's an accepted understanding. Um there was the attempt to resolve that in what's called string theory uh has from some people's point of view led physics down a blind alley where the people thought strings would explain it that the idea that matter or that everything comes down to matter and energy come down to vibrating strings vibrating in a different number of dimensions that was supposed to clean up what is first of all the world's most accurate theory which is the the standard theory of physics about particle physics and and, and, you know, the you know, muons and gluons, et etc. et cetera. And at the same time, an incredibly messy theory. The equation is horrific, but it works. It fits the data. There's nothing it hasn't been able to prove. Mm. String theory is trying to clean out all the, all the, uh, all the oddities of that, but ended up with the idea of us living in in multiverses where there's an infinite number of other universes where different laws apply and we happen to be in the one where the laws actually enable life to evolve and so on. Uh, and so there's now people writing books that like, with titles like Not Even Wrong about string theory. And there is a dispute in in physics about whether string theory is the right approach to physics or not. and And I can see – So what I'm saying, I see what's happening in physics there being similar to what happens in economics in that there's a dominant school of thought, which in physics, generally speaking, is string theory, but people are able to criticise it internally and they don't get sacked. In economics, uh, the neoclassical is the dominant one. And unfortunately, if you criticize it, you can get sacked, which is John Summers' experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe there is an alternate universe uh, where uh, neoclassic economics uh, works perfectly and keeps on finding its equilibrium and everyone lives happily ever after. Perhaps uh, perhaps we can combine those two two theories together. Uh, is part, part of the problem that uh, if you, you think about economics, and this, I see two types of of economists, and, and actually, you're both of them. Um, there's, the, uh, there's, the is, <laughs> there's the there's the economist who's
1: bi-economical. My God,
0: there's the there are there are people who go to university, for example, who might do a BSc in economics. So it's all it's all maths, it's all equations and models, mm-hmm. and perhaps they get so stuck into that. They don't have enough time to question the logic. They're just applying the uh, the, the logic, or even to have time to, to to look at the objectives of economics. And then you got people who do the uh, the BA in economics, and I'm sure that I can imagine scientists saying, "Oh, yeah, these BA people—they're basically the artsy-fartsy economists. Uh, they can just come out with theories." They can question stuff, but they're not doing the hard maths like we are. We're doing the real economics. They're just those over there, you know, in in the background questioning stuff. Is Is there a bit of that going on?
1: yeah there is that's a, that's a good characterization because uh, there, there is a division in, 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 in historically as well as uh, currently between people who try to build models and have mathematical representations and others and say here's the philosophical context and here's the sociology in the institutions that are involved and so on and what tends to happen uh, with the people doing the mathematical work, particularly if they're trained just within economics, uh, they have a, they've got a very very elaborate technical uh, world in which one starts from a set of precepts about the behaviour of individuals and firms, and then brings that together into a. A model of the overall coordinated macro economy with the most, uh, the, of course, the crowning glory of that in 2007 being the dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models, which they thought described the world very accurately, and they were applauding themselves on how well these models had conformed to reality in the previous 20 or 30 years. And I'm speaking from I'm speaking from talking to people in central banks who actually said they believed that quite, quite fervently in 2007. But the amount of work that's involved in learning, how to make one of those models is so large that it takes up so much brain space. Nine, uh, it's really, say yeah. you, get,
0: you can imagine you would actually just get lost in all of that. And so some of the fundamental questions like, why are we doing this again, can get lost. Mm.
1: Absolutely, and so they tend to see people on the outside who are criticising as being those verbal types mm. who uh, you know, can't do the mathematical. I see the old, the old, you know, the old saying: those who can do, those who can't uh, can't teach; those who can do mathematics, those who don't complain about it. That seems to be the way that they perceive the criticism coming in. In fact, they're not aware that there is. The, the, the mainstream people who do their own mathematical modelling are not aware that there are also non-mainstream people doing mathematical modelling as well with two major components of that, one being the stock flow consistent modelling that Wynne Godley pioneered and that Mark Lavoie carries on and so many young non-orthodox economists are doing around the world these days. And there's also the complex system stuff, which I do. I've been out of third division as well there are people who are working with multi-agent models which again though not strictly mathematical are highly technical and the neoclassicals don't tend to know that they have these two other sorts of rivals and they dismiss anybody who criticise them as being either the verbal type who can't uh, who can articulate a verbal critique but can't put it down in equations or they see them as old-fashioned Marxists or Austrians and I've got a feeling that would John Summer into the Marxian category and think oh he isn't really an economist he shouldn't be here
0: right but I- but how are they coping with 2008, all those people? How are their models working out for them?
1: Well, <laughs> not well, of course, because the, the, and my favourite, as I quoted in the blog post, was the the model that was uh, the, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development put together, which is, is something which all the national treasuries and uh, in, in particular and to some extent central banks get involved in inputting data for their own economy into this model and then out come all these predictions for the economy uh the, the national economies and the global economy overall and that came out saying that in, in june of 2007 the current economic situation is in many ways better than we've experienced in years two months later bang into a financial crisis they didn't see coming now their response to that has been to say well uh, ben Bernanke, gave my, they gave the most fatuous <laughs> I hope you got the emphasis there, fatuous mm-hmm. uh, answers saying, Well our, these models were, were designed to help with the good times and they they weren't really designed for the bad times when financial crises occur. That's a bit like saying, Well, a car is designed for straight roads. Uh if you want to go a curve <laughs> road, you should have bought something different than a car. Straight Get roads out. and
0: down straight roads and downhill, that's why we didn't put an engine in it. Yeah, exactly. Or brakes or steering wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get
1: so, out of here. That's just nonsense. <laughs> so, uh, the other,
0: so why yeah. why are department heads then not questioning the fundamental i mean students or or postgrads who are doing all of this analysis you can sort of understand that maybe they've been led in a particular direction but why department heads not questioning the fundamentals when for example you mentioned the oecd they are the bank of england is you know there's a, yeah. a lot of established bodies that are starting to say well we, you know and there are some universities which are you know which are also saying well we've, we've got a, a question where we've been and where we're going because we might have got some of this stuff wrong why are so many university heads not doing that
1: largely because they come from the the three out of six who are strong mm-hmm. believers in the in the mainstream and particularly the further up you get up the over the university hierarchy the more likely somebody who gets a position running a department will be a mainstream believer and that's that that again comes to the selection processes that apply between people who become vice chancellors and those who become deans and those who become heads of the department so you'll you'll get the, a, a practice where the the head of department is not just somebody who tries to administer the department. He also tries, he or she, in this case, the person that John's complaining, I think is a woman here, so it's not just male sociopaths you have to deal with. There are female sociopaths as well. Uh, they tend to enforce the religion, uh, and they'll, they'll tolerate uh, and they'll move people around who are non-believers uh, before the crisis, but after the crisis, they're happy to remove them. And, of course, that happened to one of my colleagues at Kingston, Devram Yulmaz, who was removed from, Monash, from uh, Manchester University uh, after many years of teaching, very successfully, and I can speak from personal experience, is a fabulous lecturer. Uh, he was removed from Manchester, which is why I took him on at Kingston, and now John's copying this at Vermont University, when he equally has fabulous uh, student evaluations and teaching reviews. Well,
0: it's pretty much what happened to you at the University
1: of Western Sydney as well, isn't it? Hmm. I've got to say I was incredibly lucky on this front because I had, uh, to give my own personal experience, I began as an academic at the University of New South Wales in 1987, and I was taken on to that university specifically because I was an unorthodox thinker, and this was before I'd even enrolled. Actually, I think I'd enrolled in the master's degree, but I hadn't actually completed my master's. They took me on as a, as a full lecturer with… Uh, not with tenure at the time; that happened shortly later. But as a full, a full lecturer, and the reason was actually a personal link because the then head of, depart, head of uh, department, a guy called John McCall, uh, was a was a classic, old-fashioned, they used to call them humanitarian Keynesian economist, lovely, lovely human being. And his secretary happened to work in the uh, Australian Catholic, uh, what's called uh, Action for World Development, which was a progressive. Um, overseas aid organizations affiliated with the Catholic Church. And she knew me from my days in the Freedom of Hunger campaign. She knew that I was applying for this job, and she just basically told uh, Greg, you've got to hire this guy. And Greg took his uh, secretary's advice seriously, respected her views. Bang, I got a job there. Now, that was great, but within two years, Greg had left, and uh, a guy called Ross Milbourne took over. Ross became the... um, as head of School of Economics, not there was the School of Economics and Department of Economics. So the school covered things like it sat above econometrics and economic history and economics as well. And Ross uh, was a neoclassical uh, trained, a very good person, and somebody who actually came to my defence later. So I'm actually getting this in beforehand. But sitting between him and me were a range of people who became head of department. There were several people. Uh, some were very good. One uh, was not particularly good. And found any excuse he could to try to make my life a misery. And when when I was uh, involved with coordinating, I think, about 20 or so people to mark the essays for over 600 first-year students. When one of those people lost one essay, he used that as a reason to shut down my course on Marxing and Economics, which had been running the department for 20 years. So I cop that sort of personal crap from that particular individual, uh, whose name sounds rem- remarkably like a particular body part, which which we used to refer to him in behind his back uh, right. when he was in control. Uh, so, sorry, something
0: that, so, only men have, or do uh, women have it too? Could we narrow it down? No, let's not go down that path. Well, we actually,
1: it is he, he, he something about men and women share, and right. if they're not, they, if not, they become literally full of shit. So that
0: right, okay, okay.
1: cool. Anyway, so, so but he made my life a misery. How However, um, uh, when I then got um, – Ross, Ross Milbourne realised that he'd been led very bad, tr- tr- truly false information about me by this uh, particular individual, which led Ross to uh, write me a very strong disciplinary letter uh, about some software developed for the department and so on. And I then wrote back to Ross, giving him the details, and he was horrified by how different – the when I had documentary evidence of my of my position versus the hearsay that this – other individual had put forward. Ross was quite mortified and made up for it in two ways. One by uh, Apologising, which is is very good human trade. Secondly, by giving me a, a top ranking as amongst the students applying for a PhD funding later that year, this is back in the early nineties. And thirdly, by giving me a five thousand dollars department scholarship on top of the priority rate scholarship I got from the um, Australian government. So you know, hats off to Ross, who actually became vice chancellor at uh, University of Technology Sydney. But I did experience that shafting that that that's put down stuff by this middle rank guy, and I was then lucky after that, extremely lucky, to have four consecutive goods heads of his department where I went. University of Western Sydney, I had a guy called Com Kearney. Colm just died recently, very, very uh, tragically young. Uh, he was a fabulous head of the department. Then Raja Jananka, who's still a personal friend, um, uh, uh, and, and two other guys who also remained personal friends and gave me my head to do what I wanted to do. So I'm incredibly lucky in that experience. I'm now my head of department at Kingston University. Uh, Her her Magni Chowdhury is another fabulous human being and also very open to non-Orthodox thought. So I've been lucky. But Mm. you notice the universities I've worked at, they've gone down the status all the way. So I have not suffered the individual recriminations that someone like John has done, but I've, my ranking of the universities I've tried has gone down over time.
0: Is it is part of the reason that there's a drive now in uh, educational establishments, there's got to be a very vocationally focused approach for tertiary education. So lots of companies perhaps want uh, brainwashed neoclassic economists. They don't want subversives who might challenge the way things are done, particularly if they're going to end up working for a bank or something in, this, in the finance sector that obviously benefits from the way Things are done. They don't want subversives. They don't want someone doing Steve Keen's course on Marxian economics. God no! Uh, I mean, (laughs) isn't 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 that part of the problem? They don't want people to question too much. They just want you to to learn the technicalities of it all.
1: That's another interesting and and generally correct, but with a twist in economics. Uh, pressure because across all, across all uh, university departments, the pressure on is on these days to make universities the places that train job train job ready graduates for business. The, the whole idea of questioning, you know, what is the meaning of life, that's gone out the window these, these days. Is what is the meaning of life, and it becomes a, you know, how, how to form a, a dot com or a or an Uber rival. Um, so yes, there's that pressure on credentialism and being prepared for business. The ironic thing is that when people get graduates from economics degrees. They say, listen, we've got to retrain these guys from the ground up. They come up with a load of garbage that doesn't apply to our business at all. Mm. We have to teach them about the real world. And then the main thing they use economics for is a question of whether do you have statistical skills. Because if you can survive an economics degree, you can normally you normally got a component of, of statistics inside there, and that'll be of use inside the company. Or you might learn a programming language like R ah, uh, as part of that statistics, and that's useful and so on. But the actual economic knowledge is positively negatively correlated your capacity to work well for the company. Whereas the ones who do the wonky stuff tend to are coming out being able to ask questions in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so they have actually the business. Likes the credentialed side of things in some extent in most areas, but in economics in particular, they end up complaining and saying, "Why can't we have more to more people who are trained in heterodox ways?" The problem is, of course, that it
0: does get to politics very quickly as well, doesn't it? Mm. Once you once you once you get beyond the numbers, that's the other colour, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, are you left wing or right wing? I mean, it's and you know, you think one way or the other, and it applies purely to your approach to government, or certainly to uh, to economics, or, or certainly to government policies towards economics, and that becomes the big yeah. problem.
1: It gets messy there as well. So, like, you, you, you would, you might not like the neoclassical because he's useless, but at least he believes in business. Uh, you like Mike the Marxian trained guy because he can ask sensible questions and challenges things, but you won't invite him out for drinks later. So, there's a, there, there is that strange, you know, sort of, Twisted nature of the business support for and against heterodox thinking, and that of course again plays into the power- hands of the mainstream who want to get rid of the the Marxian lot. But say, well, okay, you might say you want to retrain them, but at least we give them the technical skills uh, they can be retrained to something useful. So they'll defend themselves, and they'll also come out and say, look, you want people who are pro business. So it's a very very messy world that people like John get caught in.
0: And we're also in in the world of soundbites So if you say Marxian, I've been studying Marxian economics, that makes you a Marx the a fact you've been studying it apparently makes you a Marxist. In the same way, I guess that if you uh, if you study Islam, you must be uh, you an must Islamist. Be an Islamist, and you're going to blow everyone up. Uh, exactly. It's, uh, I mean, it's and there is that problem as well, isn't it? Are oh, you studying Marxian economics? You're, you're a Marxian, you're a revolutionary. We don't want people and the, the, like you the, in our the, university.
1: The, that, that's exactly There's another problem as well, which is the whole way universities are financed because a huge part of the emphasis in universities these days are getting papers published and and, the, and there's a there's a, in some cases a literal point system for whether you get published in mainstream journals, which are three and four star or the lower rank you know, journals are one and two star, which is where the heterodox journals will turn up. That positive really encourages university managers to get people published in the three- and four-star journals. And I can speak, again, from very personal experience, they are not even open to people who write with a non-orthodox approach. My, my most recent experience of that was when my article uh, was sent back unrefereed by the editor of the Journal of uh, uh, American Economic Review Macroeconomics Journal. They, they broke down into Macro and Micro and a couple of other divisions some time ago. So there's a main AER journal and there's AER Macro and so on and so forth. So I submitted a paper to AER uh, macro giving a Hyman-Minsky-style mathematical model of the financial crisis, and he rejected, unrefereed the paper because he said he would like to see how markets clear. I'm sorry. In Ken Nixon's theory, markets don't clear. You remain in a state of permanent disequilibrium. Mm. We then got involved in a verbal fight, you know, an email fight over the whole thing, and my favourite point at which I thought this is just a sign of how bad this, this theory was is he wrote, Uh, in my comment about how people form expectations, quote-unquote, but what if they get more information about the future? How would that change things? Yeah. You've Information about, about the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just invent that time machine. Yeah, excellent. Back to
1: back. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, but it's not everywhere, is hey, it? Son? Pardon I had a Delorean just went past my window. Yeah, back to nineteen, back to the future again. I'm mm. uh, I, I'm reading at the moment a book by Hadron Chang, which actually my ten uh, uh, year old daughter uh, bought me for my birthday. Uh, he is a oh. uh, he, he questions mainstream economics. He teaches at uh, the University of Cambridge. He's in. The, they've got an alternative alternative approaches research group this sounds pretty progressive at the university again, of cambridge so it's it's not it, everywhere uh,
1: you- no, but you've also got Tony Lawson there, and like mm. Tony and Lawson, I fight over over how much approach economic, but Tony is a, a great leader in the need for realism and what he calls critical realism in economics, and Tony and Ha-Jung Chan have both been driven out of the mainstream economics department. They teach in affiliated departments. I think Ha-Jung is in economic geography, I'm not sure, uh, but they are not in the main economics department, which is very, very staunchly a neoclassical stronghold. Mm. And, again, the students, when they turn up, they, 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 they dive into thinking they're going to learn about economics, and they start getting all the stuff about utility maximizing formulas and solve the set of equations about utility maximizing decisions and uh, put the set of constraints on here and, you know, what is the what is the Nash equilibrium, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they walk into, and it's it's taught as if they're learning first-year physics, where you have to learn, you know, Newton's equations and you get down to the Green's theorem and so on and so forth. Um but that is not at all, of course, the reality. And but yeah. that's 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 what the students in the rethinking groups are complaining about. That that's what they face, rather than the broader perspective comparing different schools of thought. Which again is the sort of thing which John Summer uh, is being driven out of Vermit because he actually taught that approach.
0: And yet, the organisations that uh, a lot of these students are going to work for, when we mentioned the OECD, the Bank of England, uh, oh. you know, I think an increasing number of uh, of organ, you know. Or- economic based organizations um you know a number of central banks now are starting to question some of these fundamentals and would want universities mm. to be questioning it as well so why aren't they putting the leverage on these heads of departments and these universities to say hang on you're teaching the old stuff and uh, you know the, the 2008's changed things we need to be looking at things and we need a broader remit we need to be questioning more
1: I think, I hope that will happen over time. I know that that's certainly the emphasis coming out of groups inside the OECD, like the, what's called NAEC inside the OECD and NAEC standing for new approaches to economic challenges. Uh, and you also have in the Bank of England quite an open-minded research department established by Andy Haldane, which hires people from all sorts of fields, not just economics. Lots and lots of physicists and biologists get, uh, get, get jobs there. And they are approaching, they're saying we want people sort of range of other Approaches, including, and, and that's the emphasis they would have on is on technically applicable approaches. So people who can do multi-agent modeling, people who can do stock-flow consistent modeling, people who can do system dynamics are getting jobs at the Bank of England. And I do hope that the Bank will start putting some pressure back in the other direction and saying to places like Cambridge and Oxford, we'd like to get some of your graduates trained in this material as well, rather than having to go as Sarah Field as, dare I say, at Kingston. So um, that that is the um, the pressure. I hope it will come back because. academic economists can just walk away from the whole thing and say 2008 was not my problem. You know, that was because there was bad regulations or the Federal Reserve did it or something of that nature, whereas people actually working in places like the Bank of England would have been quite literally all over the coals, well, not quite literally, close, verbally, uh, uh, torn to shreds by politicians who were given advice by them saying what a fantastic year 2008 was and they walked smack dab into a financial crisis. So um, there's more pressure coming from formal uh, policy bodies like the OECD, the World Bank, the IMF, uh, the Bank of England, the Bundesbank, Treasury, because ideology... Yes, it's nice to get the, idea, the ideological support, but you want it to actually give you accurate forecasts for politicians who did not enjoy 2008 one little bit and are not going to enjoy being dragged through it again blindfolded rather than led by their economics department.
0: So, mean, so meanwhile, John Sumner is uh, challenging his dismissal from the University of uh, Vermont. He's uh, crowdfunding an appeal to the Supreme Court. Mind you, I, you wonder about things like this. I mean, it would be great if he if he manages to win it and he gets his job back. But will he get his job back? He's still going to be in. That same situation where he's at a university, which obviously doesn't value his uh, his opinion, and they are very set in their ways.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's real a dilemma. I mean, I, I do hope that he does win the win the appeal because from what I can see on the evidence that he's put together in his. Um, his appeal uh, for GoFundMe is that he's very, very, I very much associate with him. He's a good teacher, teaching a range of alternative approaches, and you know he'll go back to a department where one of the one of the criticisms actually used against him was where he put the word equilibrium in inverted commas. <laughs> okay, seriously, that's actually documented.
0: As so, as uh, opposed to with a capital E. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and a nice music playing in the background. You know, the rise of the Valkyries and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, he's he, it, it is going to be a problem, but it's better to have a position than not. And of course, once that happens, he'll be hopefully rather more solid, solidly attached to the department than he was beforehand. His problem is he doesn't have tenure. And he's, he's very ballsy. He doesn't, he not he, he takes incredible risks despite the fact that his job is not secure. He's now paid for that. The same thing applied to Devrim Mulemas, my ex colleague at Kingston, who's now working for the French Development Agency and doing very good work there. Uh, he was at Manchester University, uh, with, with with where the, the student revolt actually began. The students at Manchester asked the department to put on a course in, in bubbles and panics and crashes. The department head approached Devram, asking him to put that course on. He put the course forward. It was then. After he put the subject outline forward, it was then blocked. One of the particular narky individual—it wasn't the head of the department in Manchester, but somebody else—who's uh, got quite a bit of sway over the over the department, one of the high priests, as I call them, of economics, uh, opposed it. The course was not allowed. And then the student said to the department, "Would you mind putting the course on after hours so it doesn't actually count for teaching?" And after he did that for a year, Devram, whose teaching contract had been renewed several years, I think about five or six years in a row, found he was not renewed for the following year. Mm. Well, so this, is, this, this is the sort of behaviour we get.
0: My wise words to contribute to all of this as somebody who has uh, serially lost his job for telling a company how he thinks things could be done better. You can't drive change from within, uh, irrespective of what the job, what the discipline, uh, what the company um it's you know it's <laughs> you've got to keep your head down when you're inside say what you want when you've left uh and maybe that's you know this is just another example of that happening
1: it's partly that definitely the international departments aren't you know group think is a human state of is uh, a, a human um state of mind and this this is something which uh, that's why I, I try to attenuate my criticisms of economics saying they're just being like humans are collectively we tend to we come together by sharing a set of beliefs and the fact we share those beliefs let us do things in a unified way that no other species can do yep. so it's a major part of our strength as a species but it shoots us in the foot when we th- when we then have a like of group think which means that we end up being on a suicidal path that somebody with a bit more critical of uh, ability standing because like, they say this is going to crash let's get out of here and there we go off the edge of uh, you know going off the edge of the Niagara Falls and the person who who said it's uh, it's going to crash, <laughs> ends up going down with you. And they also say, why did you warn us more clearly? Um,
0: next, yeah. next time there's a census uh, where it has that question, what's your religion, I'm going to write neoclassic economist and uh, try and get lots of other people. Not that I am, of course, but, you know, it, it's, it seems like a religion, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? Look, we'll, uh, yeah, we, uh, we'll catch you again very soon, Steve. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I think lots of people filled in the uh, uh, one sense of saying their religion was Jedi. A quarter of a million or so, I think it was. So, look, uh, we'd be interested in your views on, uh, not on Jedi Knights, but, but on whether we are seeing universities more focused on the mainstream and less open to debate and alternative views, especially when those alternative views might just be right, damn it. Uh, So, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. There's well over 100 in this series so far. So, if you're not a subscriber, become one. You can do that by supporting Steve Keen on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prof Steve Keen or by subscribing at debunkingeconomics.com. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll see you back here again very soon. Thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.